Very cool story. So if you are new to the faith or you find yourself just kind of stuck maybe um, or just really wanting to go deeper in your relationship with God and discover your identity in Christ, um, we really encourage you to be a part of Rooted. It's going to be starting up soon in the next couple of weeks for the fall uh, session. And you can sign up for that uh, out in the lobby. And we encourage you to, uh, to get a, be, become a part of that if you haven't yet already done it. Um, as John mentioned, back in January, we started this faith journey together called Believe. And we used this um, resource book by that title, Believe. And uh, for this whole year, we've been kind of going through this, this three phases of belief. First of all, what is it that we believe? And that was the first 10 weeks. We talked about the essentials of our faith and, and what it is and, and what it means. And then the second section um, was uh, not just what do we believe, but how do we believe it? How do we put these things into our lives? Because the truth is, no matter what I say, I believe my actions and behavior reveal what I truly believe. And then we took a little bit of summer break, and now we're heading back into fall. Um, We're kicking off the third section of this. So this book is available. um, If you've joined us over the last couple of weeks and have not picked up a copy, or if you've been with us all along and never did get your copy, these books are free. We encourage you to pick up one of these books. Um, If you don't become a part of Rooted, um, get into a community group, because in a community group, what we do is we talk about Uh, and have discussion about the things that we've talked about here on a Sunday morning. And so the topics that we're covering are things that you're going to discuss together in community. And what you find is as we share together what God's doing in our lives, we learn from each other as well. And so today we are starting this third section, which is called B. Um, And we're we're calling it a heart check because it's really not just about what we say we believe or even really how we act, although that's an important part of it. Ultimately, it comes down to who am I becoming? And that's the B in believe. And so that's what we're starting with today. And there's, there's um, about nine different um, qualities or characteristics that the Apostle Paul writes about as qualities of the, the, the Christian, the, the follower of Christ. What kind of qualities? He calls them the fruit or the result of the Spirit's work in our life. And he outlines them in Galatians chapter 5, and he calls them what they call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So these are the qualities, these are the characteristics of someone who is becoming like Christ. And so for these next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at each of these and kind of taking them apart, unpacking them and seeing what do each of these look like and, and how, do we, how do we cultivate these things in our own lives based on what we say we believe and how we want to behave. But now who are we becoming? And so today we're going to be talking about love. Now, love is a big, big subject. And, and really, if you think about it, it encompasses all these other qualities and characteristics um, and so when you think of these, but by the way, he calls them the fruit singular of the spirit, not fruits of the spirit, plural, which means it's not just you pick one and then you work on that one and then you pick another and then you work on that one. It's really the result or the harvest or the fruit of the spirit's work in our life. And if you kind of think of a rainbow, okay, a rainbow has seven distinct colors, you know, but but when you look at a rainbow, you, you can see there's seven distinct colors and yet it's kind of hard to see where the one ends and the other begins. They all just kind of blend together. And that's kind of how it is with the fruit of the Spirit. These are all qualities and characteristics of what God wants to develop in our life and become our characteristics and our qualities. Um, 
But you, even though we're going to be looking at them one week at a time, you don't just work on them one at a time. All of these need cultivating in our life all of the time. So today we're starting with the biggie, and it kind of oversees all the others. It's called love. Now, here's the thing with love. It's one word that we use to describe a lot of different things. Like, I love God. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my church family. I also love Maui tacos. <laughs> and Maui sunsets. And, and just about anything that has to do with Maui, okay? I love that, okay? I love pizza. I love sailing. I love baseball. I love Giants baseball, even though they're five games out of it right now, Okay? See, when you have one word that we use to describe a lot of different emotions and affections and desires and pursuits, but it's only one word. And because we use that in so many different ways, it kind of dilutes its meaning. So when we talk about love, what is it that we're actually talking about? Because Jesus said this would be the distinguishing characteristic of his followers, that we would love one another. He said, by this All the world will know that you are my followers if you love one another. Well, what does that mean? And and, and it's not just about trying to act more lovingly with each other. I, I love the way Bob Goff puts it in his book, Everybody Always. It's about becoming love. Well, how do you become love? John, gospel writer John, also wrote three letters to churches and his first letter, 1 John, it's in your Bible, it's called 1 John. In chap- well, the whole book he kind of writes about it, but in chapter 4, he kind of breaks it down in a way that I think we can understand it as we look at it today. So this is what John wrote. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, if you want to follow along. He wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And this is his command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In 15 verses, over 27 times, John uses the word or a form of the word love, which means this is pretty important stuff. And if Jesus said this is going to be the distinguishing characteristic of his followers, this is the one thing we ought to get right. And yet, like I said, because we have one word that we use in so many different ways, 
it kind of dilutes its meaning. So as John kind of picks it apart here and kind of explains it to us, I think he kind of describes how do you become love? I think there's three movements to it, if you will. And it starts with the first moment, which is recognizing that love resides in the character of God. That's where love comes from. It is his essence. He is the source of love. He says, let us not love one another. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's his nature. It's his essence. He is the source of love itself. And because it it resides within who he is, his character, that means it's unconditional. Because it isn't about how lovable you and I are. And let's just face it. We're not that lovable. Maybe to a few people, but I know there are people in my life that I'm not all that lovable to. And I know some people in my life who I don't consider too lovable. But he says it's not about being lovable. It's his very nature. God cannot not love. It is absolutely unconditional. See, the thing is, we all long for love. But what we often settle for is approval. And they are not the same thing. But most of our lives, we get the message that I will love you if. If you behave in a certain way, if you treat me a certain way, if you love me in return, I will love you. We, 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 we don't understand this idea of unconditional love because we're looking for approval. And they are two very different things. Years ago, I heard a saying, and it was so impactful on my life. I actually wrote it down on the inside cover of my Bible. You remember Bibles, the paper things with words on them, you know? I got digital version now, but, but on the written, you know, printed out one I have, I wrote it on the inside because it just so struck me. And the saying is this, that there is nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any more than he already does. There is nothing you can do that will make him love you any more than he already does. And nothing you do will make him love you any less. That's the unconditional love of God. That's his love for you and me. And that's why John keeps reminding us over and over and over again, God is love. God is love. Love comes from God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. See, we have this one word, but the ancient Greeks actually had a number of words to describe all kinds of different loves. There are at least seven different words. Four of them are primarily used. And I want to just kind of give you what each of these are. The first one is eros, which you kind of know what that one is, all right? Um, it's about passion and emotion and, and most often used towards sexual desire. That's one word that's used for love in Greek. The second word, and by the way, Greek is what our New Testament was written in. The second word that was often used is phileo which is where the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love comes from. And that's what it is. Phileo is that, that deep friendship, that, that personal regard. It's, it's kind of a two-way love. It's kind of the Barney the purple dinosaur sort of love. You know, I love you, you love me, we're one happy family. You know, however that song goes, something like that. Okay, there's another word called storge. Storge is a word that describes kind of um, affection or, or, or um, 
uh, love of country or love of your favorite baseball team, okay? That's that kind of love. And then there's another word, and it wasn't originally, didn't originally carry all of these different meanings, but, but the New Testament writers were trying to find a word that described the kinds of love that God has for us. And they chose this word and kind of reimagined it, if you will. It's called agape, and it means unconditional, sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that John talks about here. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And by the way, because it's unconditional and doesn't depend on us being made lovable, it also means that God doesn't have favorites. Remember when you were a kid growing up? I I grew up family of four, four siblings, okay? But I was the oldest. I was the firstborn son. So obviously I was the favorite. And I always kind of had this idea that, you know, yeah, my mom and dad, they love all of us, but they love me best. You know, and then then I grew up married, got out of the house. You know, my sisters grew up. My uh, my brother, who was six years younger, was now the baby and the only one left. All of a sudden, he gets to go on all these wonderful vacations with my parents. I go, well, wait a minute. I thought I was the favorite. (laughs) See, I grew, up in, I grew up in a church. It was an independent, non-denominational church. But we called ourselves full gospel. Okay? Pentecostal church. Full gospel. Like, we weren't half gospel like those Presbyterians and those Lutherans. We were full gospel, you know? <laughs> and, 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 I mean, isn't that where most of our doctrinal distinctives come from? It's like, well, we believe the real truth. We're, we're a little bit better Christians than those other types. I mean, God loves everyone and God loves all Christians, but he loves us the best because we do the right things and we say the right things and we believe the right things. God has no favorites. His love is totally unconditional. And it is that love, it is that love that he now wants to bring about in our own lives and his love awakens in us through the grace of God. See, We were created in the image of God, and because God in his essence is love, then our capacity to love comes from the fact that we are created in his image. We are different than all other creations. We have this capacity for love, but it is only through the grace of God and what Christ did on the cross for us that that love truly awakens to become its full potential. He says, we love because he first loved us. God took the initiative in all of this. He is the one who makes this kind of love now come alive in in us. This is love, he says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is love. Not that we love God. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, his love is not just unconditional. His love is sacrificial. And if you think about it, that all real love is sacrificial. Every bit of love costs us something. See, Dallas Willard defines love this way. It is the will to good. In other words, that when we love someone, we promote them for their own sake, which means I give up some of myself to love somebody else. To love someone else, I have to submit my agendas, my will, my desires to that of somebody else for their benefit. And it means I give up something of myself to be able to love someone else. And really, all love is that way. 
that if I'm going to promote someone else and, and want and will the best for them and act in a way for the best of them, then that's going to cost me something. True love is sacrificial. It takes a risk. It means being vulnerable and open to the possibility of being hurt because you may not get it back. Think about your very first serious relationship. Okay, can you think back those days? And the very first time that one or the other of you said out loud, I love you. Now, you don't say those words, and you, unless you have a pretty good idea, you're going to get an I love you too back. Because that's risky stuff. When you put it out there and you actually say it out loud, I love you, you don't want to hear, that's nice. <laughs> no, it's not what I was looking for here. You want that in return. You take a risk. You put it out there. Every aspect of true love The kind of love that's godly love is risky. There's a chance you won't get it back in return. There's a chance it might even be thrown back in your face. Isn't that what we do with God all the time? But he loves us sacrificially. It's risky. And with that comes fear. Fear. If I love in that way, if I put myself out for somebody else, what do I get back? I mean, if if I love in that way, if I love unconditionally, if I love sacrificially, who's going to watch out for me? Who's going to take care of me? And that's the fear in the whole thing. And so he goes on, he says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The, the, The fear that I won't get it in return. Think about the way that Christ has loved us. And the change that it brought about in our lives. We don't live in fear of God anymore. We live in his love and recipients of his love. See, our experience with God's love tells us this kind of love really does work. It's risky. Not everybody loves God back in return, but he continues to love. Not everybody chooses to live in his love and receive his grace, but he continues to offer it freely and pursue us in it. It is risky. But what we know from our own experience, if you are a Christ follower, if you received his love and and his grace at work in your life, then you know this love works. So you can take the risk and take the chance and do the sacrificial thing. His love and his grace now awakens that love in you and me, which goes to the third movement, is now that God is, God's grace has awakened that love in us, now it's up to us that his love grows now in us as we extend it to other people. That's the only way love grows. Love only grows when you give it out. It's the only way that it happens. That God planted this in creation. He planted this seed of love in us, that capacity. And by his grace and what Christ did for us on the cross, now he awakens that ability to truly love in that way. But now, now you and I cultivate, because that's what it takes. It takes, you know, in any garden, you got to do some weeding. You got to do some fertilizing. You got to do some work to cultivate and make the crop grow, make that fruit grow. And so it is with God's love. He's planted the seed. He's caused it to awaken. Now you and I are in partnership with him in cultivating this love in our own lives. And the way that it happens is that we extend it to other people. That's what John says. Since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. He said it's the only conceivable response. If we have been recipients of this kind of sacrificial, unconditional love, then the only logical response is we must love others in return. It's not optional. It's not extra credit. It's compelling of us. It's incumbent on us. See, a lot of people think that that Jesus came, died on the cross so that I could go to heaven someday when I die. Now, that's a great thing, but that's not his purpose. His purpose is to transform us. He came and gave his life so we would be the kind of people for whom heaven would be the natural place to live. Because here's the thing. If your life is not being transformed into the image of Christ, you're not going to like heaven. You won't. This is going to be filled with a lot of people who are becoming like Christ. <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's not just about where I'm going to end up someday. It's about what he wants to do in my life today. And that's why I love the way that Bob Goff puts it. It's not about learning to, trying harder to love. It's about becoming Love, being transformed in character. And that comes from the inside out. This is what John wrote. He said, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. If we love one another, his love is in us, he lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And that's his goal. That transformation of our character, becoming love. He says the only way, the only way that we know God is because of what Christ came to show us of God. But then he goes on and he says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's his intent for us. In other words, The only way that we know God is because of how Jesus made him known to us and made him available to us. And the only way that people will know God is if we are like Jesus revealing him. And that's why he says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. That's why it's the distinguishing characteristic. Now, that, that, that's, that's, that's huge because I can't love in that way. Unconditional, sacrificial love, that is not my nature. <laughs> my wife, she started reading this Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always, and she goes, I'm reading about all the things that I'm not. <laughs> and it's true. But it's who we can become. And that's God's desire and that's God's goal. And here's the good news We don't have to do it on our own. It's not about trying harder. He goes on, John said, this is how love is made complete among us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. That the spirit of God, once you receive his grace, once you let him love you in that way, once you receive his love fully, his spirit indwells you, indwells me. And now he makes those changes from the inside out. And it will be messy. And people won't understand. And you won't understand. There will be people in your life who are difficult people. People who work with you. People who live next door. Who own those dogs that bark at midnight. You know, all night long when it's a hot night and you have the windows open. And you say, I can't love that person right now. 
But God, would you change my heart to see them the way you see them? Spirit of God, would you... Would you cultivate in me an ability to love like I can't love? And then take the risk to love boldly. Bob Goff's first book was Love Does. His second book is Everybody Always. And, and it's a great book. Um, and, and at the end of the book, he writes this story. Um, long story, but if you don't know, Bob Goff has become uh, an emissary of the U- a Ugandan government in the United States. He's, he's not Ugandan, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, so he is a, a, an emissary of the uh, Ugandan government in the United States. He's also a lawyer. He's also a speaker. He's also a book writer. Um, but so his involvement with the government in Uganda, um, one of the biggest problems they've had in Uganda over the years is with witch doctors. There's a great fierce, particularly in the villages, of these witch doctors. They seem so powerful. And these witch doctors do horrible, horrible things. And he heard the story of a young, a young boy um, who he calls Charlie. Charlie was um, kidnapped, abducted by a witch doctor, done horrible, horrible things to him, mutilated, sexually violated, and left to die. But he didn't die. He lived, and he survived. And the surgeons were able to, to restore him in a lot of different ways. And, and, um, and this witch doctor named Kabi was the first witch doctor that actually... Because everybody was afraid of the witch doctors, so they were never brought to justice. They were never prosecuted. And so what happened was, now they had a, a living, surviving witness. And, and, and Bob was a part of making sure that this guy got arrested, brought to trial. He was convicted, the first witch doctor ever convicted in the, in the nation of Uganda and sentenced to life in prison. And, um, and Bob was a big part of that. He was a big part in, in saving Charlie and getting him um, restored and a big part of the prosecution, making sure this guy got locked up for the rest of his life. And then God began to speak at, at, on Bob's heart and just saying, but I told you to love your enemies. And Bob said to God, no, 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 not, not Cobby, not this guy. He's horrible. He's done horrible things. He's ruined people's lives, killed kids. You know, there's no way. God just, just kept poking at him. He said, you got to go visit Cobby. You got to go visit Cobby. So eventually Bob gave in, went and visited, had this conversation with Cobby, and Cobby gave his life to Christ and, and just admitted all that he had done and, and talked about things that had been done to him growing up and, and all this. And so Kabi actually became a Christ follower. Well, Bob continued to visit him in prison and, and eventually um, asked the warden of the prison if they could have a, um, a session with all of the, of the prison, that they could speak to the prison, both he and Kabi together. And at first the warden said no, but eventually he said yes. And so they had this kind of church meeting um, in the prison. And he writes about it at the end of his book. So he got there, he and Kabi, and they're there and, you know, all of these hundreds of, of, of guys who were on like death row. And, and Kabi began to speak. He says, I listened while Kabi told 3,000 dying men about the life, the new life that he had started with Jesus. I know what many of them were thinking. Wait, this is Kabi, the witch doctor, the evil guy. Jesus, him, unbelievable. Kabi spoke for 30 minutes. Honestly, I have never heard anyone hack the gospel message worse than Kabi did that day. His message was garbled and halting, and he barely got anything right. By the time he was done, I wondered if I even believed in Jesus anymore. 
But here's the thing. Every guy in that place knew who Kabi was and what he had done. And more than a few knew that I was the guy that had put him there. Our standing in the courtyard together, not as enemies, but as brothers, filled in all the words Kabi had messed up about Jesus. This is the story Jesus came to tell in your life, my life, Kabi's life. He said he would turn us. He said he would turn us into love if we were willing to leave behind who we used to be. When Kabi finished giving the best worst sermon I'd ever heard, hundreds of guys started walking toward us. Kabi picked up a water bottle and he, and he started baptizing the other prisoners. At first I was thinking, wait, you can't do that, Kabi. You hardly know anything about your faith. You know almost nothing about the doctrine. And you're a killer too. But while I rattled through all the reasons he couldn't, Kabi kept splashing water over the heads of these men, inviting them to begin the adventure of becoming love themselves. I realized in that moment, Kabi probably knows more about Jesus and forgiveness than most of us. Was this how it was supposed to be? Yes and no, I suppose. Kabi had been responsible for unthinkable pain in other people's lives and had experienced tremendous loss in his own. He's not a guy who's comfortable like me. He's a guy who is desperate enough for Jesus that he's willing to take huge chances with his life. Does he have the knowledge? Nope. Jesus chose fishermen who rarely got their nets on the right side of the boat by all accounts. Even they had been with Jesus for three years and still didn't fully understand who he was. They were imperfect, flawed, and had failed, sometimes big. I was reminded again how grace never seems fair until you need some. When Kabi was done baptizing the death row inmates, he turned and walked deliberately toward me. When he reached me, he grabbed my hands. He looked me in the eyes and he said in a strong, kind voice, Bob, I forgive you. Wait, what? (laughs) This took me by surprise. Hold on, you're the bad guy. You can't forgive me, I was thinking. You're the guy who's a convict. You're the guy who was wrong, who failed, who hurt people, who caused tremendous pain. You don't know anything else. What to, you don't know anything close to what I know about Jesus. I just heard you say a bunch of stuff about Jesus that wasn't even right. But then I realized what was happening. We had just been reading together what Jesus had said to his friends about loving our enemies. Kabi knew that if I was his enemy... He couldn't be perfect like his father in heaven was. And that's what he wanted, bad enough to do something about it. In that moment, standing in the prison courtyard, I didn't see a witch doctor I helped to convict. I saw Jesus standing barefoot in Cobby's clothes. I saw a guy who was becoming love. What if? What if all Christ followers around this world would concentrate on becoming love? What if, what if we as a church put all our energies learning how to become love? Let me make it a little more personal. What if you and I chose to put all of our energies into learning how to become love. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you've forgotten how much God loves you. 
And today you just needed that reminder. Maybe you find it difficult to love other people because you have a hard time grasping God's love for you. Maybe for you it's about forgiveness for a hurt that's been caused you, someone who's done you wrong that you didn't deserve. And for you the greatest act of love would be to forgive. I don't know what it is for you, but I know I have a long way to go learning how to become love. It'll be messy. It won't make sense. You will struggle with it. I will struggle with it. It's a path we're going to be following for the rest of our earthly lives. But today, I want to ask you, would you be willing before God to just say, yeah, I want to become want to become love God if that means forgiving someone that's hurt me I want to forgive if it means getting involved in the lives of some of the most difficult people around me I'm willing to do it because in this world I want to be Jesus. And if you're here today and that's your heart's cry and you're willing to take the chance to love boldly, love unconditionally, love sacrificially, you can't do it on your own. But Jesus is here to help you. And if you're just willing to say, God, that's what I want for my life, would you help me? I would love to pray for you and with you this morning. And I ask you to just, whatever, however it hits you, but if this is just your, your prayer today, and I could pray for you, would you just raise your hand and look up, catch me by the eye? Yeah. 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 Gosh. All over. I think there's nothing more powerful. Nothing more powerful in this world than the love of God expressed through his people. Now, maybe you're here today and you've, you've never received his love. You've never known that kind of love. You didn't know that God loved you so unconditionally that he gave his one and only son to pay for that price, to absorb the pain of your sin. And, and you're willing today to just say, God, I need that forgiveness. I need that kind of love in my own life. And I've never done this before. But today, I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you. I want to receive your love and your grace to me. Maybe you've never done this before, but today, that first step of faith, just admitting your need and asking for his help, you're willing to do that. Same thing, would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, look up, catch my eye, because I want to lead you in a prayer as we close. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am with my failures, with my mistakes, with my sins, with my flawed character. And I can't change myself. And there's a lot about my past that I can't go back and undo. All I can do is ask for your grace and your forgiveness. And because of what you did on the cross to come and change my life. I'm offering myself to you. I want to be 
you in this world. I want to become love. And I can't do it on my own. But if you will help me, I will make it my life's pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen.